okay, I started out real positive, now I'm going to go right down into the gutter, okay? How many of you are sick and tired of all the political ads on television? Go ahead and say amen if you want to. I am sick to death of all the ads. And the irony of it is, is that I actually believe in them. I mean, I believe in the necessity of them. I believe that um, people need to know and understand what the folks who desire to represent us, what they believe and whether or not they will represent us. So, have, And there's probably no better way to begin to understand that anyway than through the TV and the radio ads that are everywhere right now. But that leads, us, leads me to my biggest problem, the biggest issue that I have with it. What I have discovered, maybe you have too, is that regardless of who the ads come from, it doesn't matter which political party they come from, I have... This, it, it seems to me that every single ad that I see on television, or most of them anyway, are filled with half-truths. Which means, I, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is after having watched these things. And it's frustrating to me. And I'm, I guess I'm not the, I would suspect I'm not the only one. Well, all of these ads have caused me to ponder about something. It's caused me to ask a question. The question is this. Is it possible to be a successful politician? And I say that intentionally. Is it possible to be a successful politician and be a Christian at the same time? Now, I know that kind of sounds judgmental. Even me saying it out loud sounds kind of judgmental to me. Because I have no doubt in my mind that there are some incredible Christian politicians out there. So why do you even ask the question? Well, I'll tell you why I asked the question. It's because our scripture lesson for today actually requires us to ask questions like that. The scripture, not just the one for today, but the one that we're going to look at in particular, requires us to ask questions like that. Is it possible? If you've been around here at um, uh, Prairie Bible Church the last few weeks, you know that we have been in the midst of a sermon series that is entitled The Discipleship Toolbox, right? And what we've been doing is we've been unpacking from the Bible um, tools that God intends for us to use that will help us to grow to become more like Jesus, right? And if you remember, there's, I mean, there's more than these, but the ones we have focused on in particular the last few weeks are one of the discipleship tools is for us to talk with one another. To talk about what's going on in our lives. You think, well, what does that have to do with being a disciple of Christ? Well, we need each other. We need to talk with one another to see what's going on. The second discipleship tool that we unpacked is to read our Bibles. The third discipleship tool that we unpacked is to talk about how what we read in the Bible applies to the things that are going on in our lives. The fourth tool, we need to pray for one another. The fifth tool that we talked about was the need that we have to encourage one another as disciples of Christ. Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to make uh, something of a sea change in our uh, what we're going to focus on. Instead of talking specifically about those tools, though I don't want anybody to forget about them, and we'll continue to bring those back up to you because we hope that you're using them at home with your kids or with your grandkids, with your spouse, with your friends. Um, use those tools. But what we're going to begin 
today doing is instead of focusing on the tools of discipleship, we're going to focus on the marks of discipleship. In other words, what are some of the qualities? What are the qualities that um, a Christian should be exhibiting in their lives? Because it's one thing to know how to use the tools. It's another thing to know how those tools, what those tools are intended to help us grow into. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to begin by looking at some of the marks of Christian discipleship that should be evident in every Christian's life. Um, Things that may not be there every day, but things we should be aspiring to grow into. So if you'll join me on the journey, I hope that you'll take out your Bibles. Um, Paige read for us our passage for today, but I want you to look at your Bibles today because I need, you're gonna, there's gonna be a lot of history that you're gonna need in order to understand this particular passage. So it's James chapter five, um, it's verse 12 in particular, but we're gonna talk about James for just a little bit. So as you're looking for those things, take out your phones if you don't have a Bible with you. But, um, as you're looking for those things, let me give you a little bit of history as I try to do every week. Um, most scholars believe that the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother. Did you know that? Yeah. Now, there are a lot of James talked about in the Bible. But this particular one, most scholars, most Protestant scholars anyway, believe that this James was Jesus' half-brother. Now, I say half-brother because why? Because they had the same mom, but they didn't have the same dad. Mary was their mom. Jesus' dad was God, right? Whereas James's dad is Joseph. All right, so... This is, and it was the fact that they were brothers that um, that really kind of helped raise James to become one of the, the leaders in the early church. But it was not an easy road. You see, uh, really, actually, throughout much of Christian history, James has been kind of controversial. When you bring up the topic of James, Jesus' brother, uh, a lot of people threw up red flags immediately. Now you think, well, why would that be? Well, um, the Bible tells us that James actually didn't even become a Christian until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Did you know that? Jesus' own brother didn't even believe in him while he was uh, exercising his earthly ministry, in other words. In fact, there's stories in the Bible that say that Jesus' brothers and sisters actually thought Jesus was a little bit off his rocker. It's true. So it wasn't until after his death and resurrection that James actually um, believed in Jesus, which caused some people to say, I'm not sure if it took him that long to get it, and they're brothers, maybe we shouldn't be listening to this guy. But um, thankfully, they did, and uh, James grew, uh, became, ultimately became one of the, the uh, um, leaders in the early church. Several hundred years later, he was still controversial though. And this happened during the Protestant Reformation. I won't go into detail of what that is. If you're interested in what the Protestant Reformation is, you can look it up. But basically, um, James was, was um, controversial because people would look at this book that he had written and they would say, um, he seems to be advocating for something called works righteousness. You know what that is? Works righteousness is the belief or the theology that we are called to earn our own salvation. Where the one of the major things of the Protestant Reformation was that no, your salvation is not something that you can earn. 
Your salvation is a gift that God is offering to you through Jesus, right? So by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are, you are accepting the gift, the free gift of salvation. The only thing you have to do is receive it. So, thankfully people got over that because actually when you read the book of James, he's not talking about works righteousness. What he's talking about is the fact that as a Christian, your life will be different as you live into that beautiful new gift, that free gift that you've been given. You're not earning your salvation because your life is different, but your life will be different because of your salvation. I'm glad that people kind of got over their stuff because there's some awesome stuff in the book of James. Among them is the passage that we're going to look at today. James chapter 5, verse 12. Do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, he said. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, this is a very short uh, book. We hear this one verse in James chapter 5 verse 12 and we think, okay, I get it. But it seems rather obvious, doesn't it? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why did, with, with just it being so short, why did James feel it necessary to write this down and say, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, you need to know some more history. James wrote this book, this little um, um Instruction manual, if you will, during a time in the early church when most of the Christians were actually Jewish converts. Meaning their culture, their history was they came from the Jewish faith, right? And one of the things that was going on in the Jewish religion at that particular time in history was that their religious leaders had developed, the only thing I can describe it is, they had developed a formula for um, giving an oath. They had devised these formulas so that if you swear by heaven, your oath is worth this much. Whereas if you swear by earth, your oath is only worth this much. Now, why would anybody do that? Well, basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to create layers of truth for people. They were trying to create a situation so that if they or anybody else, but particularly them as the as religious leaders, were backed into a corner and were caught saying something that was against their own rules and regulations, they'd have a way out. See that sound familiar, by the way? Sounds a little bit like politics. So, James, knowing that that was the culture that they were coming from, said, in essence, stop it! If you are a Christian, believe in the truth. Speak the truth. Talk the talk and walk the walk. People shouldn't have to guess as a Christian whether what you are saying to them is the truth or not. They should need to, they should just be able to know. 
That because you're a Christian, because you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they should just be able to know that what they're saying is true. If they tell you the dog is the dog, then it should be a dog. <laughs> Sometimes the best sermons are the children's sermons, right? I get that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's the epitome of integrity. To a Christian, truth should be of the utmost value to you. It's as simple as that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All right, let's stop right there for just a second. It's never as simple as that, is it? I wish it was, but it very seldom ever is as simple as let your yes be yes and your no be no. The truth of the matter is if truth stands most, if if oftentimes when truth stands by itself without anything else, it can be quite hurtful. Did you know that? Example of what I'm talking about. This morning I got up and decided to put on this particular pair of jeans. Like them. I got up and put on this particular pair of jeans. What if I, when I got up this morning, put on this particular pair of jeans, walked in to uh, see my beautiful wife, Lisa, and I said, Lisa, do you think these jeans make my butt look big? And Lisa might truly have said, Craig, those jeans make your butt look as big as the side of the barn. Wives, if your husbands ever walk in and say, do these jeans make my butt look big? Don't ever say it. Tell them the truth, but do it gracefully, will you? It's not the jeans. (laughs) All right. That was truthful, but it was not graceful, all right? Which, see, I'm trying to be funny, but I'm trying to help you make the understand, understand the point, right? Grace, or truth without grace, can be an abusive thing. It can be a very bad thing. But here's the deal. Did you know that grace without truth can be just as bad? They, we as Christians should value truth and practice grace. We as Christians need to understand that grace and truth are the different sides of the same coin. They have to go together. There needs to be equal measure truth and grace. Because without the equal measure... Oftentimes you, you get neither one. So how, pastor, how am I supposed to know? How, how am I supposed to know whether there's equal, when I'm inclined to say something or stand up for something, how am I supposed to know whether, whether there's equal measures, grace and truth? Well, just stop. Before you say anything, just stop for a second and ask yourself the question. Is what I'm about to say coming from a place of love? 
Am I inclined to say what I'm about to say because I love the person or am I inclined to say what I'm about to say because I want to be right? (laughs) Am I about to say whatever I'm about to say in the way I'm about to say it going to be received in a way that they can receive it? They go together. They got to go together. Value truth and practice grace. And do it because you love. I'm telling you, I'm going to warn you right now. If you decide to live into these marks of Christian discipleship, these marks of integrity, truth, grace, and love, People are going to look at you and they're going to think you're weird. They will. But if you decide to live into truth, grace, and love, even though the world may think you are weird, the world that we live in will be a better place. Because what you will be showing to them is Jesus. Maybe it's not as complicated as we make it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, as we aspire to be more like you every day, maybe I should say it this way. Lord Jesus, as I aspire to be like you every day, I mess it up every day. I am a sinner. But I know that I am a sinner sinner saved by grace. The truth is, I am a sinner that is saved by grace. Because you love me. And you have called us on a journey of... It's called sanctification, but basically what it is is that you've called us on a journey of becoming more like you every day. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Shoot, Lord, some days it's two steps back and only one step forward, if I'm honest. But because you are graceful, you are constantly every day wooing wooing us forward to become more like you, to exhibit these marks of Christian discipleship in our lives every day. When we fail, you reach down and you pick us up and you say, you love us. You always have and you always will. And then you say, now go and sin no more because you love us too much to leave us where we are. And you let us love us too much not to push us forward. And for that, I, I praise you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for loving us that way. And may we learn to love the same. In your holy name.